0: And welcome back Everyday Jesus Family as we continue our conversation on marriage, love, and relationship. Big shout out to the hubs coming on last week talking about our story and some of those fun things um, in our transition from, you know, just dating and being focused on each other into what it means to have a spiritual foundation in the Lord We brought up a few different topics of discussion at the end of our conversation. And some of those things included like boundaries in marriage and and spiritual intimacy. And so I wanted to spend this last week in the conversation on marriage relationship talking a little bit more about those things. And so I want to preface with like two big things. And the first preface is we don't have it figured all out, right? We are young. We've been married seven years. We, I mean, do pursue constant knowledge about marriage. We pursue the Lord in the way that we should pursue each other in marriage. We invite other people, wise people into the conversation, but we don't have it figured out. We fight, we fuss, we have difficulties just like you guys do. Um, So yeah, I will probably listen back to some of this stuff in a few years and be like, you guys had so much more to learn. And that's okay. That's good. I hope we do that because then that means we never stop learning. Um, And then the second piece that I want to hit you guys with is the fact that this conversation today is going to include some topics of the relationship that is allowed to exist between men and women after they're married. Yes, that's a topic that starts with the letter S. It has about three letters in it. And so I want to say if you're single and you think that that will create a temptation for you, then just cut this one off. Let's listen to you next week as we, as we talk about um, some fun things on the EJ chats. If there are small children in your car right now, maybe listen to this one later. And dad, if you are listening to the podcast today, maybe don't listen to this one. Maybe not. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is boundaries. So Samuel talked about boundaries in marriage and how that was something that was really important for us moving forward. What are some of those boundaries? What does that even mean? And so for us, these are just our guardrails to keep us in a safe, healthy marriage environment, right? So the marriage is between man and woman. It's between husband and wife. And there can be a lot of influencing factors in that that are not healthy and not good. And sometimes those things aren't even bad things, right? So sometimes that's family. Like I've heard, you know, people have difficulty with, you know, planning holidays because their parents want it to look a certain way and that just adds undue stress. And so then you really need to have a healthy boundary on what do your holidays look like for you, your husband and your children, or maybe it's there's so much influence or conversation or unnecessary input on, you know, you and your husband's relationship, whether that's, you know, financial and hear me, you should have wise counsel. You should have multiple advisors. That's in scripture. But also like there's a point in time where you have to know where to draw the line and um, when that's becoming something unhealthy in your relationship between you and your spouse. So not all boundaries are like clear cut Bad things. Sometimes there are good things, like how much are you volunteering at the church? Maybe you need to set a boundary for that. Like there was a period in my life when Samuel, before I said yes to one more thing at the church, we just kind of came up with the plan of, you know what, let me just run this through my husband first. And it was good for me because sometimes. I would be crazy because I said yes to way too many things. And if I would have just asked him like, hey, does it make sense for me to plan four events this month? He would be like, Crystal, that makes no sense. Please don't do that. Pick which one you like the most. And so those boundaries can be um, with things that look good. But also there are things that, I mean, are obviously bad. right? But we, we make it grow sometimes. And so for us, we have very specific boundaries when it comes to the opposite sex. And I think this has always been really helpful and has been reinforced with a lot of um, couples that we believe in and trust and, and have godly marriages that we want to follow. And that includes like, don't be alone with someone of the opposite sex, right? So kind of sometimes you may have like a meeting with your boss or whatever, but like as much as possible, like you should not just be sitting at dinner or at lunch with a member of the opposite sex. It's just appearances, right? And you may think, Oh, that's kind of silly. It's just a good, healthy boundary. Like always have groups of three or have, you know, two girls and one guy or, you know, it's just good, healthy boundaries. And That includes text conversations like we don't need to have long lingering text conversations with members of the opposite sex. And sometimes you may have to text someone at work like, hey, I saw this patient today, blah, blah, blah. They're in your schedule tomorrow. Just a heads up, you know, not using any sort of identifying factors that would break hip on that. But (laughs) but um, or like Sam if the teachers are teaching a specific thing, maybe that requires a female to, to text him, but he's not going to linger in that conversation of like, so how are the kids or how, what are you guys up to? Or, you know, do you love football as much as I love football? Like <laughs> you just don't open the door on those sorts of things. And so you limit where you're alone. You know, you don't, you're not alone with members of the opposite sex. You don't have those lingering conversations with members of the opposite sex you know, whether that's text or phone call or whatever, you know, nothing that looks unholy or looks has that appearance of unholiness. And I just think that that's good and healthy and wise. And I think the kind of more obvious part of that is like people you've had previous relationships with. Like there's no good reason why someone who is married in a married relationship should be having lingering or any conversation with someone they've had a past relationship with. Like, I've seen this. I don't get it. I don't understand it um, because it's just not wise. And I remember when Samuel and I were broken up, there were several things that the Lord was working inside of me. And this was one of those things because I was convinced that like it was okay to talk to exes sometimes. I had dated someone when I was much younger for a long time. And we had always texted. Like it didn't matter who we were dating, how many different people we had dated after that relationship. We always kept in touch. We always texted. It had made some of my previous boyfriends very mad and I didn't get it because I was operating under this premise of we are friends. So let's pause here. If you're married, your best friend, if you're a female, it's not a male. It shouldn't be a male. If you're a male, your best friend should not be a female. That's unwise. It's just unwise. And so I lived under that premise of, well, he's just a friend now. We're just really great friends. We had this relationship before. But, you know, if I'm being honest, there were times where that conversation was flirtatious or, you know, a little more intimate than it should have been. I remember when Samuel and I were broken up, he texted me. And I felt the Lord really tell me, like, this has to be the end of this. This cannot be something that continues. And I knew in my heart, in that moment, I got to decide if I was going to respond to that text message, I was choosing to continue to walk in disobedience in this because that was not going to be the person that I married. We were not in a relationship ever again after that. And I'm pretty sure he was probably in a relationship when he texted me that day. And I just knew in my heart that That would be the final text that I ever received from him if I didn't respond or I would choose to continue to talk to him. And I chose not to text him back. And when I didn't text him back, I never heard from him again. It was like the Lord had just kind of cleared that out. That was not going to be something that came up in my relationship with Samuel ever again because he was someone that I had texted when we were dating. And so those are things, you just have to have good, healthy boundaries. And that also includes our finances. Like Samuel and I, we share finances. Like we both know where all the money goes. We don't have any secrets spending if we're spending more than our we have like a small spending allowance each month if there's anything that we need to spend bigger than that it's a conversation that we both had but there's no hidden expenses there's nothing to hide when it comes to spending our money and I think that's a good boundary to have and um, I think people feel a lot of different ways about finances but for us it's just about There being a clarity in the relationship and an openness, and there's nothing hidden. You know, nothing should be hidden in our marriage with each other. What are, you know, I want you to think about some of the boundaries that you have in your marriage and whether or not you need to include some more boundaries. Or if you have other ideas about boundaries that you'd like to share, like leave a comment on this episode or email me and let me know what are some of those boundaries that you have. Um, And the next thing I want to talk about is spirituality. Males and females are different. We talked about that. And I think the way that we experience spirituality, the way that we experience the intimacy of God is also different. Like I was listening to this guy talk one time about how a lot of new worship songs really are easier for the female to relate to than the man. And it brought about this. Do you guys remember the David Crowder song? (laughs) Yes. Um, Oh, how he loves. And there was that verse about, you know, the presence of God or it being like a sloppy wet kiss. And like for a guy, that's kind of a weird way to experience God. Because I think, you know, you see this picture of God as this man, and then you're talking about his presence and your experience with him being a big, wet kiss. Like that's weird for a guy. That's not the way that the guy, you know, intimately experiences God. And I think sometimes, and I've heard this in small groups, Women misunderstanding the way that they interpret the spirituality and the spiritual relationship that their husbands are having with the Lord and counting that as something lesser than their own experience. So what do I mean by that? So women, we typically experience the Lord on a very emotional level. Like it's, you know, we're usually quicker to cry during a worship song, or maybe we would be quicker to raise our hands during a worship if you raise hands in your worship. Those sorts of things that look like spiritual intimacy. But if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll create that sort of response as being higher or better than the response that our husband may have. And so maybe your husband fully experiences that same depth of emotional connection with the father with his hands down by his side and, you know, a dry eye all day long. Like he doesn't need to cry to have that same depth of spiritual connection with the father. But I've sat in small groups with ladies and they've questioned, you know, where they're the husband is at intimately with the father and spiritual connection with the father because they don't experience Christ the same way or in that same manner. And then worse than that, I've heard women then kind of nag their husbands about that. Like you're not experiencing God the way that I experience him. So you must not have deep connection with him. Why are you not X, Y, or Z? And that's not fair. That's not fair because the Bible says that we worship him in spirit and in truth. It says you work out your own foundation with fear and trembling. And so ladies, I think we have to take the step back in that judgment and let men experience the Lord the way that they were created to experience the Lord. I digress. You should still have a spiritual foundation with your husband. So when I first started when Samuel and I first got married, it was kind of different to bring our spirituality together. So we had experienced God on our own, but we really had to create a foundation of like, what does it mean to pray together? What does it look like to study scripture together? And we study scripture differently. We interpret scripture differently differently. And so I think it's about making allowance for Samuel to experience God the way that he is supposed to, but always coming together. Hey, what how is how are things with you in the Lord? What is the Lord saying to you? Can you pray with me? And you know, we probably don't have this perfectly figured out, but I do think small groups and connecting with other people are a big piece of this. So having a spiritual Connection and foundation with each other is so important, not only because your marriage is between you two, but your marriage is a ministry to your children, right? They see your marriage and that's a ministry to them. And not only what you hope their marriages will look like, but in actually putting God's word to practice. How do we speak to our spouses? How do we respond without anger, right? I know sometimes I respond in anger to give yourself some grace, but at the same time, let's move forward. Let's not be kind to everybody else in the world besides our spouses. Our spouses and our children are our first place ministries, and this is how we change the world. And so I think we just have to be really careful about that. So this is where We're going to transition into that sex word that I was talking about earlier. So, Dad, click off now. Okay, we're done. We're done here today. I want to talk about just the transition of, like, sexual freedom in marriage and how that can be difficult because as Christians, I mean, you spend all of your dating and childhood experiences being told that sex is bad, sex is something that will send you to hell, and then it's like you get married and you're supposed to just like really feel all this freedom and connection and sex is automatically supposed to be this thing that you just know how to do well and, <laughs> and know all about. And I think that can be difficult. I think it's difficult when we haven't grown up with open conversations about sex, about God's designed for sex, that sex is not bad, that sex is a gift from the Father, that there's a reason why He wants that oneness and that deep spiritual connection that it brings to be isolated to marriage, why, you know, we shouldn't be experiencing that outside of marriage and that not being so much a rule as, you know, a, a caution and a protection because sex is not just a physical act. It is a spiritual act that brings us together as one. But still, it can be difficult to make that transition. It can be awkward to go from, you know, sex being this taboo thing that's supposed to be bad, bad, bad. Um, and then you're just automatically supposed to be loving it and really good at it. And, I think that transition may be somewhat easier for males than females. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I hear more often from females that it's more difficult to experience that sexual freedom. And so I think that does begin with healthy conversations about sex. So all the way back to parenting, right? So if we're going to learn about God's design for sex and his purpose for sex and how it is a good, beautiful, meaningful gift not just for procreation, not just for pleasure, but for spiritual intimacy between husband and wife, for that oneness, if we can have these conversations, then we tear back the curiosity and also the shame that kind of lives around sex. And we can, you know, probably that's the best way that we prevent abortion. You know, as Christians, there's all these ways that, you know, all these answers to abortion, but maybe step one is you know having true conversations with our children about sex so that then it's not you know this provoked curiosity and hidden dirty thing. I think we have to have conversations with our spouses about what is the thing that we like in sex, what is the thing that works for you, what are the things that you like and I like? Um, and there are lots of really great resources on this. And so two books that I want to plug are um, Real Marriage by Mark Driscoll. We did a small group session on that, and it was really good. And there's, <laughs> if you were a person who grew up unable to say the word sex, this book will make you sweat. Like you will be reading it, and it will make you blush a few times. So wear deodorant and uh, get in a quiet space when you're reading it. But it's very healthy for marriage. And I'm going to hit that point just a little bit more in a minute. But the second book, and I'll admit, I haven't read all of this book, but it has been highly recommended by um, some trusted people in my life. And I've read a little bit, Um, but it's it's called The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. So The Act of Marriage and Real Marriage are really great books when it comes to sexual intimacy, pursuing your spouse fully, completely, the way that God designed for us to enjoy sex, to have spiritual intimacy and spiritual freedom in sex. The enemy really does try to encourage sex outside of the marriage bed and discourage sex inside of the marriage bed. And so I think we have to caution that. So in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2, it says, Let each man have his own wife. Let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not... deprive one another. And I have to be honest, so I am someone who has had difficulty with certain specific things about sex. And I think it's because my dad, sorry, dad, but growing up, he always told me, you know, boys just want one thing. That's all they want. Boys want one thing. And it was a good caution because it kept me away from a lot of boys because I always assumed they just wanted one thing. And probably at that point in my life, they did, but it's not a fair assumption of my husband. <laughs> Um, And so sometimes when I read things about like, oh, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, I'm like, what do you mean? Yes, I do. I own this body. This is my body. My husband does not own my body. But then I get back to, you know what? Wait a minute. It clearly says here, right? Let the husband render the affection to his wife that she needs and likewise the wife to her husband. So... That scripture could even say the wife where the husband, you know, the wife does not have authority over her own body. You know, if I get mad and I want to withhold that, then I should be equally mad if Sam withholds softness or hugs or kisses or handholding or kind words. I should be just as angry at that as I am if I withhold my body from Samuel. Because women, you know what? We got a lot on our minds. Sometimes it takes us a little more time to, quote, undress than others. And that's a a good point. Because when we were reading the Real Marriage book with a small group, it was a very close-knit small group. We kept it nice and clean. But nonetheless, we were doing the Real Marriage study and... Samuel said, and it was so good to hear, and this is why small group is healthy, but he said, for me, I know that undressing Crystal for sexual intimacy does not start in the bedroom because I know that her mind is always going. It's always turning with every responsibility in the house and every responsibility with Harrison. And so undressing Crystal sometimes starts with undressing some of these responsibilities, lending a hand, taking these things off of her back. So before I can take her clothes off, I need to help take things off of her shoulders. And man, that really was so good. Isn't that so good, ladies? That was so good. And it's true. And that's a part of a husband rendering the wife the affection that she needs So that I can then freely render the affection that my husband needs. Because it's all about that servanthood and that love for one another. And we should not deprive each other of this. Whether that is the, you know, just non-sexual touch or whether that is sexual touch. We should not deprive one another of love, of affection. We should give ourselves over to our spouses. And I came across a podcast the other day, or maybe it was just like a TikTok video, but it was these two couples talking about how we pursue one another. And this woman was saying how, you know, when she was younger, really her husband had the the greater sex drive than she did. Like he was much more sexually active and wanted sex much more often than she did. But as she got older, she noticed that she was the one who had the more often desire to have sex. And... You know, she would sometimes have turned him down when they were younger, but then she was also now finding that he would turn her down sometimes now that she was the one who was more active. And they had written about in this book, and maybe you guys saw this or know this, but like there's a 48-hour rule. So if your husband has pursued you and you have said, you know, not right now, I really need to X, Y, or Z, undress myself with some of the stress (laughs) before I can dress myself physically, then you have 48 hours to initiate sex after that. And you should be the one to initiate. So whoever turned away sex at that moment should be the one who initiates sex within 48 hours. And I thought that was an excellent tool because it kind of takes that pressure off It puts the ball in your court. And really you shouldn't deprive your body of one another. And something that I really loved also The Lord showed me in this first Corinthians verse four, where it says, The woman does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another, like that could be sex or hand holding, like I said before, but that could even mean wellness or fitness, the way that you take care of your body. Like if there's some mental health that you need to get, some therapy that you need to get, then you need to do that. If you need to start exercising and keeping your body healthy and eating well, then you need to do that because your body sexually or otherwise is a piece of ministry to your marriage and your family. And so we should take care of each other. And so just um, to linger on that therapy bit, Sometimes sex comes with our past shame. It comes with past abuse. It comes with a lot of baggage. And this is how the world kind of frustrates God's design for sex and our own sin, right? Our own sin frustrates God's design for sex and meaning for sex. And so sometimes that can be a barrier to sexual intimacy in your marriage. And what I would say is get a counselor get a trusted counselor. Don't let things stay hidden because things that stay in the dark, um, that's where Satan is, right? Satan is the, you know, the king of darkness, but the Lord is the God of light. And so when we bring things out into the light, it brings it to truth and it brings it to freedom. And so if you're someone who has past shame who has passed hurt, who has passed abuse, and it has been a roadblock to sexual intimacy and sexual freedom in your marriage, then get some counseling. It's hard. I know I've had to do it. I've had to have these conversations with someone. And you know what? I used to, I would dread it before I would meet with my therapist. Like, oh, I really don't want to talk to this woman. I really like pretending that I don't have these issues. But after the conversation, I walked away with new tools and new freedoms. I think the whole point, and we've talked about this before, is just about a holy pursuit of one another. Our marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church, and we should intimately pursue each other the same way that the Lord intimately, passionately, unconditionally pursues us. that concludes our topics on marriage and relationship we might talk some more about this in the future if you guys have any questions or comments definitely let me know next month we begin our ej chats and i'm so excited because i have some really great friends coming on the podcast to talk about misperceptions about religion about depression about um, prodigal children Um, next week will be our first kickoff Um, conversation on EJ Chats. And this is just going to be a little bit of background of my spiritual walk and how did I get to know Jesus and those things. Um, Kind of an all about crystal session on EJ Chats with my great friend, Pastor Johnny Mitchum. And so we'll kick that off next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast. I can't wait to be with you next time. And until then, every day, Jesus.